if you're like me, you're still surviving uh, or getting over, rather, the aftermath of the holidays. I don't know how brutal they were for you, how much out of routine uh, your rhythm got or how much stuff you ate that you shouldn't have eaten and how much you're paying for that right now. Uh, Perhaps uh, the word detox, uh, of all the words that people use um, uh, in in the month of January, probably gets the greatest usage of all because I think all of us are thinking, wow, now I got to recover from all of that. And I, I, I not only have to recover from abuses that I've done to my body, I have also got to recover from uh, two college students descending upon our home and uh, reverting back to old practices of, um, you know, uh, leaving dirty dishes around and uh, laundry for people to do. And, you know, it's funny how they, you send them off to become uh, cultivated uh, to think like an adult, but when they come back to uh, the house, they revert back. Uh, so in order that they, they didn't revert back too much and slip into that and get permanently stuck, uh, we made sure that uh, they, they, they got themselves back off to college. So I got Mayim back on, um, uh, I believe it was on Tuesday, and Christian uh, is out the door today. Um, so um, we're going to see how things go because it's funny when your kids leave, you really miss them a lot, but you don't miss all of the disorder uh, that, that's there. Um, and, and, and so you get into the habit of having everything uh, in place. You know, the old adage, everything has a place and every, every place has a thing. Um, you, get, you get kind of uh, used to just having things where they need to be so that you can just function. And I think that's probably God's design for us, uh, truth be told, that if our lives are in order, then the fact of the matter is we function well. And we know that one reason why uh, there are so many books that are written with the title Detox Uh, It's because people don't feel like they're functioning like they should. And the culprit may be that they've overdid it, uh, maybe with food and drink in some way, and they now feel the effects of it by having cloudy thinking or lack of energy or any number of symptoms that are the result of not not really taking care of yourself. Now, we all know that... um, that there, there are a couple of parts of our body that are designed to do exactly that. They're the, they're the cleanup committee. Uh, they're, they're not real flattering as far as their, uh, their, their role, but they are necessary. And I'm speaking about your kidneys and your liver. And if you've ever abused either one of those, you know that um, they, they can really take their toll. Uh, and, and for some people, uh, you know, who have, to, who have to, for no fault of their own, go through the process of dialysis, one of the biggest challenges is to make sure that in between those rounds, they are able to, to, to not let the toxins build up so much that they just can't even think clearly. And it is, a, it is just the nature of how God has made you and I that we have to, we have to keep ourselves clean. Uh, even, have you ever read the book of Leviticus? Um, it's not exactly the most stimulating and inspiring book because it's all about how you can keep your life clean by doing all of these rituals 
and observing all of these things. And God, I think, went to great lengths to underscore that healthy, clean living is essential for us to be the people that he calls us to be. Uh, And as we go into this new year, uh, we've wanted to just emphasize that and and recognize that God has uh, great things in store for you and I for 2017. I I truly believe that. But he also wants us to go into this year with uh, our, 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 our physical platform Uh, in good order, as well as our soul. Now, most of the books that are written about detoxing are about your body. And uh, we do understand the connection between the body and and the brain. But they underscore it so much that I think sometimes they tend to cause you and I to believe that all we are is just a body and that's it. But the reality is, if we look at the opening pages of the book of Genesis... There is a statement that says uh, God had, had create us, created us in his image and his likeness. But it also says that whenever he made us out of the soil, he, um, he breathed his breath into us and we became a living soul. And that idea that you and I are a soul is uh, important for us to keep in mind. Because it's how we take care of our soul that really determines how well we'll do in life and and how prepared we'll be to be with life, life with God forever. And our soul is something that uh, even when we die, uh, it goes with us. Our bodies, uh, they they will deteriorate. Our mortality kicks in. And uh, we know that uh, one day each of our bodies, uh, sooner or later, will be laid to rest. And as uh, it is, our soul and what is, what, what is uh, intact in our soul uh, will go on to be with the Lord. And as a pastor, part of my role is to help each of you to be encouraged in keeping your souls healthy. And we've uh, wanted to kick off this series called Detox uh, by not only thinking about our bodies a little bit, but mostly about our souls and how it is that we can, for the duration, keep our souls in a good place. And someone told me one time, it is not how you start out in life that matters, but rather how you end up. And it's a long road for most of us from beginning to end, and we face a lot of things that make life challenging, uh, that at times test us to the the greatest degree, and our soul gets kind of beat up along the way. And I wanted to look at a person in the Bible that I think in some ways is inspiring, but in other ways it's kind of chilling to look at his life. And that person is King Solomon. Uh, I'm sure all of you are familiar with King Solomon and the reference that has been made to, uh, to him regarding the wisdom that he had, the great wisdom that was unsurpassable. And yet, um, there are people, even in the psychological field, who will look at his life and they will say, isn't it amazing how Solomon, uh, as the biblical story describes him, was somebody who had this incredible 
ability to make wise and brilliant decisions. And one of them I just want to I, I pull up here just to give you like a little case example of it. And it comes from the book of 1 Kings. And uh, it was a situation where he's reigning as king and uh, two, two women come up to him and they're having a, a, a little bit of a, a, of a, a really of a, of a dispute about uh, a child, and uh, it's one that's really hard to sift through because emotions run strong, and there's not a lot of evidence either way. So uh, this is how it goes: uh, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him, and the one woman said, "Oh my lord." This woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. I'm sure Solomon's just thinking, oh my goodness, what am I getting into here? But as it unfolds, uh, this is how, it, uh, how the story is told. Uh, let, let's, let's move on to the next part of it. Or is that it? That's it. Okay. All right. Well, um, uh, for some reason, there's a little bit of a glitch here. So let me let me um, let me uh, offer uh, what what said what what I've got in my notes. So as uh, we pick up in um, trying to find the verse here where we need to pick up. Okay. Um, One night while we were all asleep, she rolled over on her baby, and he died. Then while I was still asleep, she got up and took my son out of my bed. She put him in her bed. Then she put her dead baby next to me. And in the morning when I got up to to feed my son, I saw that he was dead. But when I looked at him in the light, I knew he wasn't my son. No, the other woman shouted, He was your son. My baby is alive. The dead baby is yours, the first woman yelled. Mine is alive. And they argued back and forth in front of Solomon until finally he said, Both of you say this live baby is yours. Someone bring me a sword. A sword was brought and Solomon ordered, Cut the baby in half. That way each of you can have part of him. Please don't kill my son, the baby's mother screamed. Your majesty, I love him very much, but give him to her. Just don't kill him. And the other woman shouted, go ahead and cut him in half. Then neither of us will have the baby. And Solomon said, don't kill the baby. Then he pointed to the first woman. She is the real mother. Give the baby to her. Everyone in Israel was amazed when they heard how Solomon had made his decision they realized God had given him wisdom to judge fairly. And the thing about that story is that he, just quick on his feet, was discerning enough about human nature. He understood how envy and how love and, and, and the way that they had work in our hearts would motivate us to make decisions. And he understood that with that insight, he could, he could pretty quickly ferret out who was the true mother based on who would display love versus anger and jealousy and rage. And in doing so, he displayed 
just in that little story, uh, which was included in Scripture to underscore just how wise he was about human nature, about making right choices, and about doing things that were in our own best interest. And it, it actually is one of those characteristics that when earlier on, when he was um, uh, getting ready to just begin his run as king, he was approached by God. And God asked him, uh, you know, some questions. And I, and I, I just want to go into uh, that, if we can, real quickly. Uh, from uh, the book of uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want to read verses 5 through 12. Um, And so I want to skip over that if we can, Brian, uh, and take it a little bit out of order. Um, At it, it says, um, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or how to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted uh, for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern uh, this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or life for your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And it's perhaps uh, one of the most important statements in the Old Testament about uh, a king who uh, was called to rule over everything that had been established from the time of Abraham's promise to the time of the establishment of the kingdom. This was now the moment when God's people would shine. And it really was uh, a time when Solomon was on his A-game. Everything about life was just working the way it needed to work. The country that he had inherited from his father and the kingship that he was uh, anointed to perform, everything was just as God envisioned it to be. I mean, isn't that a a, a wonderful picture of just uh, the culmination of so many episodes that have occurred in scripture up to this point to realize that now life is good and the king of all things wanted nothing more than just to have a heart and a mind to understand what need what what it took to rule uh in the best way possible and so he pursued that one virtue uh that that i think many of us long for and that is wisdom and in that place 
King Solomon could just take a snapshot and say, this is really where we need to be. We are in our sweet spot right now. But maybe you've, you've been in that place where, where life has been really good. You've had your struggles, but you're in a good season and you're finding that all of the struggles that you've had up till now are being replaced with just the experience of rich blessing. And from time to time, we go through seasons like that where the challenges aren't so grave, uh, the difficulties aren't so overwhelming, and, 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 and maybe even a little bit of depression um, isn't setting in. But rather, it's a time where we look around and we say, you know, life is, life is pretty good. I'm, we're very blessed. And it was in that moment that Solomon could just uh, could revel. And the scripture spends... Um, Ten chapters in the book of 1 Kings just talking about this golden age that they were in. But the, the thing about Solomon is the same thing that I think concerns you and I. Solomon had a blind side. You know, have you ever driven in your car and uh, you, you were in a four, on a four-lane highway and you went to and you were passing in another car, or you went to turn uh, into the other lane, and you discovered that just as soon as you started to move, somebody honked their horn. And you're like, where did that car come from? And you realize, oh, it was that in that one little spot that you call your blind spot, that it was sort of hovering. And your heart is racing, and you're thinking, man, that was almost, uh, you know, a, a collision and perhaps a, a dangerous one. And you, and you feel kind of faint afterwards as your adrenaline calms down. But it's that blind spot, whenever it catches up with us, that uh, really um, is, is a signpost to, to something that may be a, a hidden danger in our lives. And some people have come to call the blind spot that you and I have Solomon's paradox. And sometimes Solomon's paradox happens in just ways that are benign, like just driving down the road. Other times, we're doing something, and we're not even aware that it's taking us down uh, a pretty bad and destructive road. And if you look at the life of Solomon, you would say, how could a guy like that ruin such a beautiful picture of a good place in life with everything that he ever wanted, with the responsibility of being at the helm of God's people and their destiny, his spiritual purpose, his earthly purpose, his personal purpose, all just melded together in that beautiful moment. But what we read next is actually quite disturbing because as we think that Solomon could, at that point, really, um, just, he could just write it out in the goodness of God's blessing. Something happened. And here's what happened. If we could go back to those verses. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, Moabite, daughters of Pharaoh, Moab, daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, "You shall not enter into marriage with them; neither uh, shall they with you." 
For surely they will turn away your heart from their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. I mean, that's just staggering. I don't know how old he was when, when they said that, but man, that's a lot. And, this, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the uh, Sidonians, and um, uh, Milcom, the, uh, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. Uh, then it just goes on. I'm not, it's just depressing at that point. We'll just stop. Okay. I mean, how in the world could you do this? As I just expand a little bit on that in case, uh, because we're so many thousand years removed from that. Um, when you look at what he was doing, it was essentially taking all the goodness that had been established in worshiping God uh, at the temple, knowing that God's Holy Spirit filled that temple and uh, his righteousness prevailed through the lives of the people. And the story of how they came through the Exodus was so rich and how uh, certain forms of religious observance were uh, designed to enhance their humanity and generate a love for God and a love for each other. That if you can imagine that kind of a religion, uh, if, if you're like myself, you would find that very appealing because there's nothing better than knowing that the center of God's character is love and the desire that he has is for us to know his love and to be able to love other people and to be loved in return. I mean, what greater, what greater thing could you ever imagine? But for some reason, the type of love that he found himself caught up in was um, fueled by a desire to just have more and more and more. And as a result of that, that desire carried him off uh, into a place that I know he had to think at the end of his life, how in the world did I end up here? And I'm sure that the end of his life was very empty and very broken. And the last thing I want for any of us, including myself, is to end up not necessarily being at the place that we aspire to be, but being at the place that we wind up at because we've made a choice. And then that choice led to a series of other choices that just undid our very humanity. Now, just backing up a little bit, Solomon's work required him to go to other, other nations to make treaties, to create trade, and to just engage with them for the purpose of, of commerce and economic gain and, and just the overall vitality of their, of their nation. But in the process, many of those arrangements would involve sort of, um, sort of a, 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 a tie that would connect you to those particular nations. And the way that tie was established would be by offering a daughter uh, to uh, the, the, the king or the, 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 the higher up who represented the country that you were doing trade with to offer their daughter as a person in marriage. And in a polygamous society, 
That was just a thing that people did. But as all of these beautiful women came into his fold, he began to listen to their understanding of how they viewed God. And pretty soon, the word God began to take on a whole new meaning. And for them, ultimately, their view of God was, well, if you really want God's favor, if you really want God's power, if you really want life to go well, then you got to worship God this way. And it meant, ultimately, sacrificing people, women and children, at altars in order to appease the gods that these foreign wives worshipped. And Solomon somehow, because his life was filled with so many toxic influences that were not of God, that were counterfeits of God, pretty soon his thinking just really got muddy. His thinking got cloudy. It got to the point where he wasn't thinking clearly or rationally. Now how can you go from worshiping a God who says, don't do those things, to finding yourself years later doing the very things that you were instructed not to do? Now, a lot of us, perhaps we, we just kind of fall away. We get out of the habit of following God. We start thinking, life is good. I've arrived at this place. Maybe I've gone to church my whole life. God has been good. He's blessed us. Maybe I've found some purpose and meaning in serving. Maybe as I've done that, I, I've given to the church and I've given to missions. And maybe I've even gone on a mission trip. And you're at this place where life is good and you leave the building and you go out and you find that other things are happening in your life that are truly a sign of God's hand of blessing upon your life. But then somewhere along the way, you start to get interested in other things. And at first they may not have been anything too, too serious. But eventually they just kind of pulled you out of God's orbit. And pretty soon, your conversations with God that maybe you were having on a daily basis started to fade into maybe just talking to him a few times a week. And then those conversations began to just sort of diminish completely. Or perhaps your church attendance, it was going pretty strong when everything was going good, but then... Well, I've been distracted by other things, Pastor. There have been a lot of things going on in my life in, in other areas. And we've all been there. And if I wasn't a pastor, I know I would be saying probably that to, to my pastor at some point. Because I understand the pull of things. Maybe that's why God has me in the role of pastor. Because he knows I'd probably get pulled away. And this keeps me on the straight and narrow. And, I, and if that's the case, I'm grateful to serve. If, if that's one of the ways that God sees my heart. But whatever it is, having Jesus front and center no longer is that important. And so the things that go to make up your spiritual life begin to sort of get put on the back burner. But you're not really making the connections that the things that are happening in your life that were so rich and blessed, they're starting to fall apart as well. And as they fall apart, you're thinking, I'm not sure why things are falling apart. But the problem is, we have a blind spot. 
And we're not seeing that thing that's coming up on us that is so dangerous because we don't have the ability to see it. The fact is, if Solomon had a blind spot where he couldn't see it, how much more vulnerable are we in having that same blind spot? It's very concerning. And yet, as we continue the practice of meeting together, we refresh ourselves in knowing that it is only when we keep Jesus at the center of our lives that our lives are where they need to be, that we are on our A game with him. Everything else may be a little bit of a struggle, but the reality is when he is at the center, we are on our A game. We are spiritually at the epicenter of all things that uh, God wants us to be concerned about. Sure, there'll be struggles. Sure, there'll be distractions. But when God's front and center, we just plow through them. We know that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. And we know when things are happening to us that God is going to somehow work this together for good. And so our confidence and our place and the groove that we're in in him just keep us strong. My concern in this series is that maybe, maybe there's something in each of our blind spots that is working against us, that is clouding our minds and our hearts and keeping us from being where we need to be. And as God is allowing this story to be told through, of all people, the wisest of the wisest, and as God shows us just how badly it ended, I think in a lot of ways, it's just a cautionary tale for us. And at the center of that cautionary tale is a, is, a, is a friendly reminder that if God has a blind spot, you do too. So be vigilant in your relationship with the God who not only made you, but has saved you and is keeping you for all of eternity. And as the writer of Hebrews reflects on that whole story, going all the way back to Abraham and the Exodus, and even scanning a little bit Solomon. He's saying, now do not forsake the meeting together. Uh, because when you do, your blind spot starts to kick in. Now, Solomon's paradox is, is something that, that psychologists, that's a term that they use, because they understand the story, and what they understand about us is this. And, and maybe, it's kind of funny. If you have kids, maybe, maybe you're aware of how this works. And even if you have a, a, a dog like I have with Nigel, you still see this happening. What happens is they will do something. It may be um, they, they might be, like Nigel might be sneaky about something. Or it may be like one of my kids, uh, maybe procrastinating a little bit to get stuff done. Or maybe it's like some of my kids not picking up after themselves. And as I'm looking accusatorily at the dog or my kids, and I won't say my wife because it'll come back to haunt me, but I, I can assure you, occasionally a thought crosses my mind. Now, why are they doing that? But you know what happens a lot of times, and with kids especially, one of the reasons why it stands out so much 
whenever I see them doing something that upsets me is because the fact of the matter is it's a trait that I have. And it just kind of comes to the surface like, I, like, like you never see it. And you're like, wow, you know what? My sins that I did to my parents are now coming back to haunt me through my kids. And you stop for a minute and you realize, yeah, I do that too. I didn't even think that I did that, but I do. And God is trying to surface in our hearts and our minds that there are things that we do sometimes that pull us away and there are things that keep us close. But if you're in the middle of life, a psychologist would say, you're not going to be too harsh on yourself. Now, what they would say about Solomon is this. If Solomon was asked to weigh in on a story that was told about a king who had great wisdom, but somewhere along the way, because of his connection with foreign wives, he began to abandon all of it. Solomon, as the wise man, would look at that and say, well, here obviously is where it broke down. It broke down whenever he started to pay attention to the things that were contrary to the beliefs that he had prior to that. It broke down when he started to accept those things. It's clear. It's obvious. But the interesting thing is, if Solomon saw that as a third party just being told about a case situation, it's, it's all the other different than if Solomon is doing it himself. And what the psychologist said was, when they did like a, a case study with people, they would say, all right, put yourself in this situation. And as this unfolds, you know, what would you do? And if it's in the first person, they, they would make a decision about what they would do. And then they would stop and they would say, okay, now, let me tell you a story about a person who did something along these lines. And as that story's told, what they found out was, no matter how old you are, old or young, every time you made a different judgment about what other people were doing versus what you were doing in that, in that story. And one reason why God calls you and I to worship every Sunday is to just detox from everything that we face so that we can get clarity on the life that we're called to live, but most importantly, so that our souls can remain healthy and enriched and in the place that they need to be in Jesus Christ as we remind ourselves of that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And as we do that, we, we receive the great love that he has through his spirit, through the body, and then we take that love out into the world around us, and then we are the souls, we are the people who are on their A-game for the Lord because we've detoxed each week and we've recentered ourselves in the goodness of God. And I'll just end this message with a question. It's not a call, but it's a question. And I want each of you to wrestle with it. And that is, and it's a prayerful question. You don't have to tell me the answer. But the question is, what do you need to do in 2017 to detox your soul and get it in the right place with the Lord? 
Would you pray on that? And would you just allow God to speak to your heart this week as each of us takes on that question?